0: Here is your Radio Theater Channel weekly podcast for download. The RTC still has the very best old-time radio on the live streaming. And if it's music you love, tune in to the RTC Music Channel, where this link and many others are on our website at oldtimeradiolisten.com.
1: Now, here's Jim. Hello and welcome to the RTC Weekly Download. I'm your host, Jim Dolan. Today... It's all about detectives. We'll be delving into Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe is going to make an appearance. But first, it's Sam Spade and the Indian Caper from 1949.
2: The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective, brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too.
3: Detective agency. Me, sweetheart.
4: Shaman Spade. Shaman, not Sam? Uh, an old Indian word signifying wise man. And it's true, Effie. I'm a lot wiser man than I was yesterday at this time. Oh, really, Sam? Really, little Papoose. Put on some war paint, a few turkey feathers, and your best open-toed market. Where are we going, Sam? Why, to uh, Ted's teepee for a rousing repast of ground corn and dried
5: buffalo meat. Oh, well... Uh, don't quibble, Effie. Get the wigwam ready, sharpen my tomahawk, and lay out my herringbone breech clout. I'll be right in to dictate the Sharkaga, uh, the, uh, ah, uh, the Indian caper.
4: From the land of the sky blue water, they brought a captive made, uh,
6: Red Wing! Here I
4: am, running skunk. Running what?
6: Skunk. He was a famous Indian detective.
4: You sure you're not making this up?
6: Oh no, Sam. Oh no. He was a scourge of Indian lawbreaking.
4: Scourge, huh? Even so, you have two minutes to think of a better name.
6: Oh, rippling stream.
4: Not virile enough.
6: Um, crunching muscles.
7: <laughs>
4: Took uh two girl. What is that stuff you've been getting me anyway? To so, uh Lieutenant L. J. Myron, San Francisco Homicide Detail. Better take it back. Copy to Chief Black Cloud at Santee, Dakota Indian Reservation. Oh, murder. Attention, Federal Indian agent from San Jose, San Francisco license number 137596. Uh, subject, the shargagag uh, the uh Uh call it for now the Indian Caper. And quiet to you. I was sitting in my office, quiet. I was sitting in my office, doing absolutely nothing, when something interrupted me. First, it was a buckskin smell, then the soft tread of moccasins, followed by the sound of a rattle. His uh, beaded clothes were wrapped in a rich-looking embroidered blanket, and his multicolored headdress reached to the floor. His face looked like the model for the Indian head nickel. How?
7: Who?
8: My name, Chief Black Cloud.
4: How do you do, Chief?
8: You, Shaman Spade. Uh, Sam. Shaman, Indian word for wise man, prophet. Seer. Sam. Newspaper say you good scout. <laughs> well, they exaggerate so, you know. Chief need to hire a good scout for a job. Well, uh, shall we talk? You come for powwow in Chief's Council Lodge. Now, uh, where's that? Saint Mark Hotel, fourth floor. I see.
4: You have reservation. <laughs>
8: <clears throat> well. You ride with Black Plow. He have iron pony on street made by great
4: Indian Chief Pontiac. <laughs> And he actually had a council lodge at the St. Mark, fourth floor. Outside the door of his room, two braves were standing, arms folded. One of them was the first Indian I'd ever seen with hair on his chest. We entered the room. Indian file, of course. The chief had apparently brought in his own decorator. The walls were covered with hanging animal skins. A weathered canopy of thatch hid the ceiling. And on the floor, genuine hand-woven rugs. No expense had been spared. In one corner of this room stood a full-size teepee. Two squaws shuffled out of it. The young one glided forward and handed the chief a long Indian pipe. Shaman Spade, this fairest Indian maid of all. Only
8: person in world important to Black Cloud. Name, Little White Lilac. Uh, how do you do, Little White Lilac?
6: It's nice to have you here.
8: She wise, educated girl. graduate Smith College. Nice. Oh, squaw's out. out. Oh. Well, well no good at powwow.
4: Well, you know best, chief.
8: Now we powwow. Uh, you get paid well. Chief Black Cloud owned 130 oil wells near Tulsa.
4: Oh, Oklahoma, huh?
8: Not Oklahoma. Indian land. Union mean nothing. Union temporary thing. I see. Indian here long before white man. This is true. And Indian will be here long after white man. All right, Chief. All right. Chief Black Cloud come to San Francisco village five days ago for powwow with big engineer. Uh, anybody I know? His name, Clarence Hobart. Engineer for Arundel and Amaskeek, Consolidated Engineering Company. Uh-huh. Fine Indian name. We have powwow four days. Hobart disappear. And uh, you want me to find him, is that it? Chief, tired of San Francisco. Want finished powwow. Get back to Santee Dakota Reservation. Clarence Hobart. Okay, I'll see what I can find out. Good. One moment, Shaman Fades. Chief, have something you guard for a few days. What's this? This beaded wampum belt, ancient relic of Nipmuc tribe. Nipmuc. Here in tipi semak too many light-fingered chambermaids and bellboys.
4: You uh, want me to hold on to this for you?
8: Yes. Wampum of great sentimental value, woven by ancient wise man Tani Luka. Tani. Tells interesting story and in history of tribe. Mm, Guard it well. Haven't lost a wampum yet. Uh, is that all, then? One more thing. We smoke pipe of friendship. I smoke.
4: Yeah. Now, you smoke. To, uh, to friendship. <coughs> now I know what happens if the bag of Lucky Strike doesn't buy. It. When I left Chief Black Cloud's fourth floor lives, there was only one brave standing outside the door. The hairy-chested Indian was probably taking five. The wampum belt was about three feet long, made up of hundreds upon hundreds of little colored beads. They were woven into a picture pattern, very pretty. The interesting story, undoubtedly, could have been translated instantly and told fascinatingly by Red Rider. But then he has a smart horse. I put the wampum belt in my pocket and headed to the offices of the Arundel and Amaskeg Consolidated Engineering Company. Fine old Indian names. I inquired about Clarence Hobart. They referred me to his partner, Anderson Watts.
5: (laughs) Hobart disappeared? (laughs) Absurd. Why, you couldn't lose him if you wanted to. He's as wide as a barn door.
4: Yeah, well, uh, Chief Black Cloud seems to think he is missing.
5: Well, now, look here, are you going to take an Indian's opinion over mine? I might. Well, just because he doesn't show up for an appointment doesn't mean he's disappeared. Why, one day when we were on a cannon project in New Orleans?
4: <laughs> uh, yeah, some other time. If uh, Hobart hasn't disappeared, where would he be?
5: Anywhere in the world. The man's unpredictable. Brilliant engineer, but moody. Oh. Every now and then he goes off alone to scheme up some fantastic thing like... Maybe cutting off the Gulf Stream and turning Cuba into an iceberg. I like it. But he always comes back. Disappear? Oh, no, no. Not Hobart. Yeah, hey, well, hey.
4: Uh, can you give me his home address?
5: <laughs> well, here you are. Try it if you like. But I'm sure he's not there. I called this morning and nobody answered. Honest engine.
4: <laughs> I left this utterly charming man and started for the address he had written down. I was taking the shortcut through the alley on Sutton Street when I heard the rattle of beads and a naked brown arm of considerable size reached out of the murk. I grabbed for it, but he slipped out of my grasp and sped swiftly and silently up the dark alley into the fog, leaving me with a handful of Max Factor No. 8 Iroquois makeup. I continued to Hobart's house without further incident. Found it just off Chinatown. Uh, Mr. Hobart?
8: Oh, I thought you might be somebody else. Who else? take a foot out of the door. Uh,
4: just let's talk a minute, shall we? You want
8: me to call the police? I
4: don't think you will, Mr. Hobart.
8: All right, out with it. What's on your mind? My
4: name is Sam Spade. I'm a private detective. There's an Indian named Chief Blackcloud who's worried about you.
8: I'm old enough to worry about myself. Now, stop bothering me. Go away. Look,
4: I'm going to tell the chief where you are, you know, because that's what I was hired to do.
8: You'll... Ah, uh, yeah, you're right. Confidentially, I've been on a two-day drunk. You know how it is. Who, me? Ah, tell him to phone me tomorrow. I'll talk to him. Oh,
4: hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Hi. Well, what are you doing here today? This is your day off. Oh,
6: I just wanted to show you something. Happy,
4: first do me a favor and put this wampum belt in the safe, will you? A wampum belt?
6: Genuine Indian art. Oh, it's beautiful.
4: It tells a story. You know what? Yeah. It'll
6: go beautifully with... Oh, Sam, I forgot. Hmm? There's a girl waiting in your office.
4: Well, good. Sam, don't
6: you want me to show you?
4: And there was indeed a girl in my office. It was Little White Lilac. She's Black Cloud's fairest Indian maid of all. Only a uh, heap big change had taken place. She still had the Indian color... But gone was the headband, gone the buckskin dress, gone the squatting squaw, the St. Mark teepee. Little white lilac stood revealed in the thin disguise of a modern white woman's cocktail dress, complete with pale-faced 20-carat perfume. It was a transformation worthy of a high-priced medicine man. But more surprises were to come. Hello. How?
6: I've been waiting for you.
4: Yeah, well, our big brave just returned from hunting party.
6: You can drop the teepee talk. I'm civilized.
4: Well, okay. What's on your civilized land?
6: Chief Blackcloud gave you a wampum belt. I want you to give it to me so I can destroy it. Uh-huh.
4: Well, I uh, I gave my word to keep it, and I accepted the promise of money for its protection. Now, you wouldn't want me to be an Indian gift. <laughs> I mean, violate my ethics. Would you?
6: Sam, if I must tell you, Chief Blackcloud is insane.
4: Not if he keeps you around.
6: Must we have these juvenile references to my personal beauty?
4: Juvenile? <clears throat> well, sorry. Uh, you are
7: Indian, aren't you?
6: Of course, I am a nipmuck. Nipmuck. That wampum belt is a secret to undreamed-of wealth, mm-hmm. greater than the fortunes of the ten richest families of this country. Wow. Well. Chief Black Cloud is wealthy from oil, but that belt make him more powerful than the Bank of America.
4: You mean he could take my car back?
6: You think this is a joke, don't you?
4: Well, <laughs> I love the way you tell it, though.
6: He's going to use it to destroy modern American civilization. Oh. To pay the white man back for what he did to the Indian. I see. He wants to start a giant Indian revolution.
4: And you want to destroy the wampum to save all this, hmm?
6: Exactly. And now you'll give it to me, won't you?
4: Uh-uh. What happens in the next chapter?
6: Sam, you have to believe me. Why? Why do you think the chief is here conferring with an engineer? He wants to get at that wealth.
4: Hobart's going to make him wealthy? Now, really, little white lilac. isn't this all a little white lie?
6: Sam... If I take you to Hobart and he confirms what I've said, will you believe me? I might. Come on.
4: She took me by the hand and she led me out of the office and up and down several streets until we arrived at a frowsy looking brownstone. We entered, still holding hands, and came to rest in an apartment that looked just recently occupied. I guess that's what it looked like because you couldn't tell much. It was being lit by either one ten-watt frosted bulb or by fireflies.
6: This is the place.
4: Yeah, a little uh, dim in here, uh, wouldn't you say?
6: I like dim places.
4: Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's Clarence?
6: I'll get him in a minute. First, Sam. Uh, yes, Violet. You've been so nice. I have? I want to find some way to thank you.
8: I'll wait on you
6: like it. I can start by kissing you.
7: Hmm. Please, hmm. Sam. Oh! <laughs> <laughs>
4: The kiss was great. In fact, it blew the top of my head off. After this, there was a free fireworks display, followed closely by a giant roar that sounded like Niagara Falls with a cold. It was a short feature, followed by a long period of dark, black silence. When the curtain came up again, I was lying in an alleyway. I was stiff and cold. My head dropped with pain. My brain was a jumble. My suit was torn and dirty. My patience was at an end. And my anger with little white lilac knew no bounds. I uh, went out of the office and changed clothes and get a drink. Phone was already ringing when I opened the door. Sam Spade.
8: This Chief Black Cloud talking from Saint Mark Tippy.
4: Yeah. What's on your mind, Chief?
8: Ten minutes ago, bellboy delivered to Chief Black Cloud box. Inside box is scalp of engineer Clarence Hobart. <laughs>
4: I hung up the phone, fell into my chair, snapped on the lights, and fell out of it again. My office had been massacred. The place had been ransacked thoroughly and looked like the morning after a Comanche smoker. And you guessed it. My safe had been drilled open. The ancient and valuable Nipmuc wampum belt was gone. At this point, I decided what Chief Black Cloud needed was a detective.
2: Now, here's important news on good grooming. If you want the well-groomed look that helps you get ahead socially and on the job, listen. Recently, thousands of people from coast to coast who bought Wild Root Cream Oil for the first time were asked... How does Wild Root Cream Oil compare with the hair tonic you previously used? The results were amazing. Better than four out of five who replied said they preferred Wild Root Cream Oil. Remember, non-alcoholic Wild Root Cream Oil contains lanolin. It grooms the hair naturally, relieves dryness, and removes loose, ugly dandruff. So if you want your hair to be more attractive than ever before... Get the generous new 25-cent size of Wild Root Cream Oil, America's leading hair tonic, on sale at all drug and toilet goods counters. It's also available in larger economy bottles and the handy new tube. Get Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. By the way, smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil, too, and mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. And now, back to the Chagagagag, Manchagagag, Gamar caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade.
4: I found Chief Blackbott sitting cross-legged and looking disconsolately down into a small cardboard box. Both squaws, including little white lilac, were on one side of the room grinding corn. Lilac like, looked through me as if I didn't exist. I sat down next to the chief, looked into the box, and recoiled. It was a real, no imitation, 20th century scalp, and the red hair was certainly Hobart's. Scalp comes with note.
8: let me see. Note written in Algonquin dialect. I translate. Honor Chief Black Cloud, return to Santee Dakota Reservation and die proper death bidding to old man. Here you will meet violence unto death.
4: Even as this man did. What's the point across? Uh, look, Chief, it isn't that I'm scared, which I am, but I just decided to pull out of this cave. What? I've heard some things about you that don't sound too good. You hear what? That you want to start an Indian revolution to settle an old score with a white man. Who tell you this? The fairest of them all, Little White Lilac. She tell you?
6: I've never talked to you. She not only
4: told me all that, but she... What? Was... Speak. When did Little White Lilac tell
8: you these things? She came to my office today. That's
6: a lie. I never left this
8: hotel. We will see. Karlanuka. Yes,
6: Chief Black Cloud.
8: Did Little White Lilac leave hotel today?
6: Little
7: White Lilac with me already. Why? Never out of sight.
8: Enough. Go away. Karlanuka speak with tongue of truth. Little White Lilac, I have grown from baby. She also speak with tongue of truth. Somebody lie. Now look, Chief, I know what I'm talking about. Chief does not need help of double-tongued man. Return wampum belt to me. I pay
4: you. All right, I'll. Uh... Well, uh,
8: chief. Chief, heard enough lies. Return
4: wampum uh, wait belt. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got a small but biting bit of truth to relate. Somebody stole the wampum belt.
8: Wampum belt gone.
4: Somebody broke into my office, drilled the safe, and took it.
8: You stole it. Was stolen from me. Return wampum or you not live until sundown. I'll return
4: it if I can find it. Then you can pay me off and we'll call it even.
2: The makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. Now, here's important news on good grooming. If you want the well-groomed look that helps you get ahead socially and on the job, listen. Listen. Recently, thousands of people from coast to coast who bought Wild Root Cream Oil for the first time were asked, How does Wild Root Cream Oil compare with the hair tonic you previously used? The results were amazing. Better than four out of five who replied said they preferred Wild Root Cream Oil. Remember, non-alcoholic Wild Root Cream Oil contains lanolin. It grooms the hair naturally, relieves dryness, and removes loose, ugly dandruff. So if you want your hair to be more attractive than ever before get the generous new 25-cent size of Wild Root Cream Oil, America's leading hair tonic, on sale at all drug and toilet goods counters. It's also available in larger economy bottles and the handy new tube. By the way, smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil, too, and mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. Get Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too. And now, back to tonight's adventure with Sam Spade.
4: I walked outside muttering frightful white man's imprecations. Cutting through the hotel parking lot, I suddenly noticed the chief's iron pony made by Pontiac. There was a leather bag on the seat, sort of an Indian overnight case, and sticking out of it was a blood-stained tomahawk. This was of decided interest to me, and so were the rest of its contents. Somebody had a giant engineering project afoot because there were order receipts for such things as two LSTs, four underwater hydraulic drills, a diving bell, a dredging barge, and a steam derrick. Wow.
5: Back again, eh, Spain?
4: Yeah, back again, Mr. Walsh. You're
5: looking for the missing Clarence Hobart? Not anymore. Well, I knew you'd realize the futility of it. I found him. And I trust you found him in good health. Old Hobart's a bug-on health. <laughs> Why, once when we were in Cleveland. <laughs> I uh,
4: think he's dead.
5: It was the Ohio River Bridge, John. Did you say Hobart dead?
4: Scout, anyway, uh, Mr. Watts, what was Hobart working on with the chief? Well, I don't know
7: exactly. Well, let's go
4: look at his desk file and see if we can find out. In the bottom drawer, under a lot of miscellaneous papers, we found a large manila envelope marked Black Cloud. It contained some topographical surveys of an area containing a lake. On the back of one of the surveys was written in fine print a series of 37 letters that looked like a whole group of Indian words strung together, or a code, or just doodling. It started out Chagaga, something or other. I left Mr. Watts sitting in his office with tears in his eyes, a new role for him, and made my weary way back to my place of business. Effie was standing in the middle of the office with a shocked look on her face.
9: Sam, look at this office. How did it get like this?
6: Oh, my files and everything! Come on, I'll
4: help you pick things up. And again, by the way, uh, what are you doing here? It's still your day off. Well,
6: when you were here last time, I wanted to show you something, but you were so anxious to get to that girl. Alright, I'm
4: here and I'll look. What is
6: it? A new suede coat. How do you like it? The color is rusty.
4: Well, I suppose. Effie. <laughs> what? What's that you're wearing as a belt? Oh,
6: now don't be mad, Sam. I just had to. It went so well with the coat, and when I saw it, I Chief couldn't Black
4: resist... Cloud's wampum belt, you didn't put it in the safe. No, no, Give Sam, it to don't me. be mad, Give please. it to me. Wait right here, I'll be gone for half an hour, and then I'll come back and take you out to the best dinner in town.
10: Oh, I should go home and change
7: first.
4: I had taken only four steps down the hall, and somebody hit me from behind. I rolled, and he went with me. We fought a quick, quiet, and decisive fight. And at the end of it, I held him in an arm lock and let him back into my office. Come on. What happened,
7: Sam? Back early.
4: I had an unexpected caller. Come in with me and take notes. Now, sit down. All right, all right. Now, who are you and what's on your mind? I'm nobody and I got nothing on my mind. Spring, you're one of the braves that guarded the chief. Uh, yeah. And you're a phony Indian, lousy makeup, and Indians don't have hair in their chest. All right. My name is Grit Hammond. I'm a cowpoke. I should have stayed where I belong, out on the range. Well, why didn't you? Oh, once I said I'd do
5: anything for that gal. Now I wish I hadn't. She brought me here. Why? Oh, oh. <laughs> what did it have had something to do with buried treasure? She was going to give me a big cut. Where is it buried? I don't know. She was going to tell me.
4: I took Hammond around a homicide and left them in their safekeeping. While there, I got the latest flash. They'd found Clarence Hobart dead and less Scalp down by the waterfront. There were no clues except the blow on the back of the head and lipstick on his mouth, which was enough for me, having been through the same course myself. Then I proceeded to St. Mark, fourth floor. A little white lilac met me at the door.
6: You can't see the chief. Why not? He's asleep. One side. No.
4: When the chief sees what I've got, he'll wake up screaming his wampum.
6: You have it?
4: And with that, she pounced. I pushed her off, but she came back and got a hold of one end of the wampum and tried to pull it away from me, with disastrous results. The wampum came apart, and in the second was nothing but hundreds of beads rolling different directions all over the place. In fact, it was no more. Oh! What
7: happened to Chief last uh,
4: Chief cannot sleep. Well, I brought back your wampum, but now it's all over the floor. Wampum belt destroyed?
7: Yes,
6: it's destroyed, you stupid old man.
4: You talk to Chief?
6: Yes, stupid. You had the world in your hand. You didn't know it. You wanted it all for yourself to tear down the earth. It could have been used to live.
8: What are you saying? To
6: live the way I'm supposed to live. Now nobody will have it, not even you or that fat engineer who wanted it. Steve. Little
8: white lilac shut mouth.
6: I've been shutting my mouth all my life. You're a stupid, ignorant, disgusting
7: old man. You'd be better off. Dead.
6: <laughs>
4: His big hands were around her throat. He stood there, anger and betrayal in his eyes. Then his hands dropped, and he turned away with tears streaming down his face. It was then that the fair Indian maid went for him with a knife. And that was my cue to step in with a pale face weapon.
2: And now, listen to this. Not only Dad, but the whole family goes for America's favorite hair tonic, Wild Root Cream Oil. Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, relieves dryness, removes loose, ugly dandruff. Get a family-sized bottle or handy tube today and ask your barber for a professional application of Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too. Little white lala.
4: Yeah, well, I don't usually hit women, but uh, don't feel too badly, Chief. She uh, helped kill Clarence Hobart. No, Chief
8: believe anything.
4: Yeah, Uh, Chief, why did you want an engineer? Design woven in Wampum
8: describes location of hidden Nipmuc treasure. Many, many years ago, Nipmuc tribe live in Valley of the Berkshires, discover only gold vein in East, mine gold and keep for decoration. Kennebec Indians want gold, start out on warpath. Nipmuc Indians bury gold, move village, divert stream into valley, make lake. Gold there today underwater. Where is it? That secret chief keep locked in head. Chief, once had you will plan for gold. Now you forget. Make pilgrimage back to ancient ancestral camp and die. Send me bill. Chief, leave village of San Francisco for good.
4: of power. Oh, Sam, it's sad. It is, it is.
6: Vanishing race. Mm -hmm. Just think the days of the Colt and the Winchester are gone forever.
4: But the day of the Remington is still with us. Go to it and type this up. Well, it's all here,
6: Sam. Except one thing. How did the bloody Tomahawk get in Chief Black Cloud's bag?
4: Uh, a little white lilac planted it there. If anything happened to the chief, she, as the only other living Nipmuck, would inherit the one pump.
6: Well, she could have gotten the money by just waiting.
4: Oh, shut up. Sam, hmm?
6: you notice anything about the report?
4: Yeah. Hey, you got the name of the caper right, the uh,
6: Chargaga... Oh, what is it? among the mog caper.
4: You've been going out with an elocution
7: piece.
3: <laughs> oh, Sam.
2: The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Marine Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dove. Musical direction by Lud Gluskin with score composed by Renee and Pierre Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too. This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie It keeps your hair in trim You see it's non-alcoholic, Charlie It's made with soothing lanolin You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie Start using it today You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie Keeping all the gals away Hiya, baldy? Get Wild Root right away This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: It is hard to follow up on that one from Wild Root Cream Oil, and 1949 was the date on that show. There's some more action with Philip Marlowe coming up, but first, this.
10: Our next mail call contributor is a very bright young man who has climbed right up to the top of the radio heap during the past couple of years. Here he is, Jimmy Durante's sidekick and positively no relation to Umbriago, Gary Moore. I want you to know that I listen to your program all the time. I think it's just well. In fact, it's one of the best on the air. Well,
11: how do you like that? With all her beauty, she's intelligent, too. <laughs> but thanks, Ann. At least ours is one of the few all-male shows left on the air. What do you mean? Well, look at all the women in radio today. There's one on every program. George Burns has Gracie Allen. Tibber McGee has Molly. And even Gabriel has his heater. <laughs> <laughs>
10: Yes, things are going that way, by golly.
11: Well, I guess I guess the time will soon be here, Ann, when women will talk will take over radio completely. But gee, there's there's one program that I hope they don't change.
10: Which one is that?
11: Well, one of these days you'll turn on your radio, and I'm afraid this is what you'll hear. <whistles> Mrs. District Attorney! <laughs> Champion of the people, defender of the truth. And say, what a neck in a rumble seat. <laughs> At your district attorney's office, the wheels of justice are grinding in their relentless fashion.
4: Good
12: morning, Mrs. District Attorney.
10: Oh, come in, Mr. Miller. Did you bring the files? Yes, Chief. Well, don't just stand there. Give me a manicure.
12: (laughs) But I have some important news, Chief. We just caught a crook who stole six
4: pair of silk stockings.
10: What nerve? What gall? What color? What size? (laughs) Oh, never mind that small fry, Mr. Miller. I'm going after bigger game. The biggest racketeer in this town. You mean. Yes, Bristle Bean Moore. I. (laughs) I'll go out and get him if it's the last thing I do. I wonder what racket that rat is thinking up right now.
2: I'm
11: telling you, there's a fortune in it, a million bucks
13: uh. <laughs> are, are you sure about that bristle bean?
7: <laughs>
13: I'm positive, just as sure as your name is Harry the Brain huh? Oh yeah, that is my name, ain't it?
11: Yes, look, counterfeiting
13: is foolproof if you
11: do it right When we got caught for those phony 5 dollars bills, it was your fault Well, what did I do? I told you a hundred times, put on Lincoln's picture, not
7: Superman's.
13: (laughs) But I never read Lincoln. Well,
11: now this time, this time we can't get caught. We're going to counterfeit pennies.
13: The whose picture is on them? Lincoln's. Here we go again. (laughs) Listen,
11: you're wrong, Brain. It's a perfect plan. Who'd suspect that we'd counterfeit of all things pennies? And the best part of it is each phony penny will cost us... Only two cents to make.
13: Yeah, well, it costs you two cents to make a penny. That's right. Don't we lose money that way? No. We fool around with the books.
7: <laughs>
1: yeah.
13: Boy, you know something, they ought to call you the brain instead of me. I often think it's a shame your parents went the type to devour their young.
7: But <laughs> Now
11: listen. Now listen, here's the- here's the way we operate, see? <laughs> here's the way we operate. We drive up to a drugstore. One of them, one of them big crowded drugstores with people rushing in and out.
13: Yeah, so no one will notice the thumbprint will be. That's the
11: idea. I park right outside and I keep the motor running, see? Then you dash into the drugstore. <laughs>
13: yeah, yeah.
11: And you weigh yourself free with a phony
13: penny. <laughs> oh boy! What a scheme. Yeah. That's one. You know. <laughs>
7: but, <laughs> you
13: can't find your place, the cops will
11: never find us.
13: You know something, Bristlebean? If we and yourself with phony pennies, if we can get a B-card, we can do it 50 times a day. Yeah!
7: yeah.
4: We've got to put a stop to this racket, Chief. Bristlebean's gone too far this time.
10: I'll say he has, Mr. Miller. Why, at a conservative estimate, he and his henchmen have weighed themselves free 400,000
4: times. (laughs) Well, can't we do anything, Chief?
10: Oh, I've tried everything, Mr. Miller. I even disguised myself as a scale and stood in a drugstore. I'm afraid it wasn't a very good disguise, though. I must have looked more like a pinball game.
4: What makes you think so?
10: Well, every guy who came along tried to tilt the machine. (laughs) But I think I have an idea, Mr. Miller. And the next time Bristlebean Moore gets on a scale, he's going to get the surprise
14: of his life.
11: Listen, Brain, I've been looking over the books for the past week. There's something wrong, Brain. You're not getting rid of enough pennies.
13: Well, I can't help it, Bristlebean. (laughs) The pennies keep coming back. They keep coming back? Yeah. I'm starting to guess my weight now.
7: <laughs> well, it looks
11: like I'll have to handle the whole job myself. Give me the pennies we
13: made last night. Yeah, here you are, Chief.
11: My production's way up, isn't it? <laughs>
13: Yes, the swing shift is
11: doing wonders. Yes. Well, I'm going into that drugstore and get rid of those slugs. You wait outside here. Well, there's the scale. Nobody's watching. Here goes. Well, must be out of order.
7: (laughs) It's
10: not out of order, Bristlebean. You weigh 162 pounds and the jig is up.
11: Cheapers, the (laughs) D.A.S. The D.A.S. (laughs) herself.
7: Well,
11: I I guess I might as well throw myself into your arms and give up.
10: You don't have to throw yourself into my
11: arms. Listen, don't tell me how to give up.
10: (laughs) Well, Bristlebean, are you ready to talk?
11: Nothing doing. I ain't talking, see?
10: would you like a little going over with a brass knuckle? Ah, that won't
11: make me talk.
10: I also carry a
11: rubber hose. That won't make me talk either. Well, suppose I give you a little kiss. Settle back. This could be a long story.
7: <laughs> if you
11: want to know, if you want to know the story of my life, Mrs. D.A., perhaps I'd better read to you from my diary. Everything I've ever done is in this little book, all the way from the first chapter entitled My Brother Malcolm Was Always Welcome Until the Day He Stole My Talcum, all the way down to the last chapter Entitled How to remove the cap from a beer bottle Without breaking the enamel On your wife's teeth <laughs> Now here Here my dear is my first entry January 31st 1915 Today I was born Oh and what an event My mother dear soul Took me up in her arms Looked down at the little bundle of love And softly crooned Is you is or is you ain't a baby Laughter how, oh, but I didn't care. I didn't care because everyone considered me a miracle child. I was the only infant in history with a full set of teeth. And the doctor was speechless. How come? They were his teeth.
10: <laughs> but, Bristlebean, isn't there anything in your diary about your, about your childhood pastimes?
11: Well, yes. The entry for June 15th, 1924 says, Today I discovered a new hobby that I think will last me all my life. Today... I joined the Campfire Girls.
10: Oh, now, wait. What possible
11: reason could you have for joining the Campfire Girls? I was cold. (laughs) Gee, gee, I was fond of girls. And naturally, sooner or later, love was bound to kick me in the teeth. And I see by my diary that in 1930 it did. What was the name? Well, let me read to you from the diary. It says, July 1st. Today I met Alice Honeygrease. July 2nd, I held her hand. July 3rd, I put my arm around
10: her. Oh, gee, what happened on July 4th?
11: Nothing. Legal holiday. (laughs) But our love ripened, and I see by my diary, that on July 18th, I took my love to the finest jewelry shop in town. Oh, this was the final step. There we stood, looking at the window full of diamond rings. She pointed to a three-carat solitaire, And I squeezed her tiny hand and said,
7: Grab it and run! The cops are coming!
11: (laughs) And that... That, Miss Rutherford, is... is how I started on my life of crime.
10: Oh... But don't stop now. I've got to know. Did you finally marry Alice?
11: Well, no, no, I didn't. But I would have married her if I could have gotten my family's consent.
10: You mean, you mean your mother and father objected? No, my wife and kids.
7: (laughs) Gary
1: Moore and Mrs. District Attorney. Now it's time for that tough guy, that detective, that Philip Marlowe, in Vital Statistic from 1950. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who
15: travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time a car hop knocked me down a flight of stairs, an honest woman was strangled by a green silk sash, and a simpering dandy was shot to death. All because of a run of the mill accident 500 miles away. It happened like this. <laughs>
16: From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe.
7: Now, with Gerald
16: Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Vital Statistic. <laughs>
15: Hey boy, give me a paper, will you? Paper, Miss Lee? Yes, sir. What do you
0: like? Grace is coming some class
15: How about some news? Star?
0: Here you are. Thank you. Paper. Get out of
9: my hey, way!
15: way. Hey, take it easy.
9: Drive away from here, fast. Oh, wait a
15: minute, wait a minute. What is You've this? You've got to help me.
9: I'm being followed. Oh,
15: just a minute, sister. I think the you're to The lights green help-
9: driveway. you hurry, please.
15: Okay, okay. <laughs> she was streamlined, close cropped hair, the color of a smoky sunset, the low heeled slippers, brocaded in bronze. And in between, a dress that conformed as close and smooth as lacquer on a Chinese vase. I made four turns in four blocks, and pulled into the curb and stopped. She stabbed a look at me with a pair of sharp, jade-green eyes that said life had always been nothing but a calculated risk. Then she stepped out of the car and smiled.
9: You were a big help, brother. Thanks, and goodbye.
15: Uh-uh, not just like that, baby. Come here. I don't like being left out on a limb.
9: Now look, you did me a favor, okay, but we drop it right here trouble. You wouldn't like it. On
15: the contrary, it's business, like keeping my own nose clean. I'm a private detective, but I didn't issue any invitation for you to jump into my car.
9: A private detective?
15: Yeah, who's chasing you, baby? The law? You can tell me out here on the street or inside over a drink.
9: I'll take the drink. I need it. Maybe I need you too. This might be a break. I'm Mrs. Terry Labar, and you're, um...
15: Marlowe, Philip Marlowe. Who are you running from, Mrs. Labarre?
9: A woman in slacks. I don't know who she is or why she's following me, but every time I look back, she's there. This is the second day. Hmm. Booth?
15: Yeah, sure. Say, look, why haven't you talked it over with your local policeman?
9: Are you working for me, private detective?
15: That all depends.
9: All right. I'm a merchant, Chinese Silks. Not a little shop for 6% profit, but wholesale quick with cash at 40%. Uh-huh.
15: So what's the point?
9: No police. All it takes is a rumor of police, and I'll have doors closed on me from Seattle to Mexico.
0: Good evening. May I get you something?
9: A martini, please. Make it
15: two, Werner.
0: Yes, sir. Right away.
15: This gets us back to the woman in slacks, huh?
9: Yeah. Here, Marlowe. Fifty and fifty. Hundred dollars. I want you to locate that woman, find out who she is and why she's after me. Will you?
15: Not without a few more facts. For instance, could she have some connection with your business?
9: No. I have two men working with me. A strong one named Harlan Casey who sees that my cash gets safely to where it's going. And a smart one named Joe Temple who knows what to buy with it. She doesn't belong to either of them.
15: Oh, are you sure?
9: Positive. Casey hates all women. Even me, I think. <laughs> and Joe Temple... Well, Joe's a wonderful guy.
15: You hint like a woman falling in love with a fellow named Joe Temple. Care to talk about it further?
9: Why not? Temple and Casey have been in San Francisco all week on a deal... A big deal, it'll make or break us. Every cent I have is tied up in it. Oh.
15: Well, what about you and Joe Temple?
9: Yeah. Well, perhaps this will explain. I planned to go away this weekend, but I changed my mind because I didn't want to miss his letters. (laughs) I know it sounds funny, but it's true.
15: Those must be some letters.
9: They are. Like the one I got this morning. It's half business, all right? Complete account of how hard he and Casey worked for me yesterday in San Francisco. But the rest of it is to me. Personally.
15: I don't want to sound old-fashioned, Mrs. Labar, but what
7: about...
9: My husband?
7: Yeah, yeah.
9: That was a mistake I couldn't live with. One thing I can't stand, Marlow, is being lied to. It. it leaves me vindictive. I'm suing for divorce right now. Vince Labar is a human leech. As cold and spineless and parasitic is the real thing.
15: Okay, but why would your hating your husband put a woman in slacks on your trail? I don't know. All right, Terry, I'll worry about that, too. Any idea where I can start?
9: Just one. I pulled a switch on her yesterday, Marlow, for about an hour... I trailed her to the corner of Wilshire and La Cienega, then lost her in traffic. There are several dancing schools around there. Is that worth anything?
15: Maybe. What kind of car was she driving?
9: We were both walking. She's tall and brunette, and I've seen toads with nicer eyes. Not
15: enough. Can't guarantee anything.
9: I'll keep my fingers crossed, Marlowe. Here, take the hundred. Do what you can and report to me at my place, 204 Beechwood Circle. Okay?
12: Pardon, sir, your drinks, two martinis? Oh, thanks. Here. Oh, thank you, sir.
9: To your success, private detective.
15: To your health, silk merchant, drink hardy. <laughs> Slugging it down was no way to treat a good dry martini, but I figured it was time I was on my way. I drove out to Wilshire and La Sienega and slowed down enough to look at all four corners. It was a drugstore with a special on garbage cans, a drive-in called Scotty's, a branch of the Bank of Los Angeles, and a flying red horse over a mobile gas station. I drove on again when I spotted a pair of black slacks going into a dancing studio a half block down. It looked like a lead. But after two hours of staring at knobby knees and shorts and bulging hips and bloomers, all knocking themselves out for a mythical Klee-glided future, I was finally convinced that it was a dead end. Now I got back into my car and headed up into the hills for Beechwood Circle in the slim hope that Terry could give me something more to go on. Her house at 204 was low and dainty and half-hidden behind the tough, slender grace of a bamboo grove. The walk was guarded by a white marble lion of Korea and the front door when I finally found it. Turned out to be a sliding panel in a wall of oriental latticework. As the door slid open, I was looking down the barrel of a snub-nosed pistol held very steady in the hands of a hard-eyed brunette. In a pair of black slacks.
14: You've been looking high and low for me, haven't you, Peeper? Ever since you left that dame. I might have been. You're not the brightest character in the world, in spite of what you and your friends think. I spotted your car when she got in. It wasn't too tough to tag. Where's Terry? Sleeping off a hangover from better days. Skip the
15: chatter. Where is she?
14: Come on in and look. And that's no suggestion, sailor. It's an order. Move. Over there to the top of the stairs.
15: Sure, sure.
14: That's a good smart boy. You're late, you know. I got what I came for, and now I'm in a hurry.
13: Turn around. Look, sister. Shut
15: up! I- a happy landing! Oh. Oh, there were ten stairs down to the basement. And with a shove reinforced by the 45, I hit all but the first three. By the time I worked all the kinks out and was back upstairs again, she was gone. I started through the house, then slowly from one room to another, turning on lights as I went, looking for what I knew was going to be a very sick client. When I got as far as the study where somebody had gone through the desk drawers with what must have been a snowplow, and I still hadn't found Terry, I got that numb feeling in my stomach. I started out a side door that opened into the patio. But then I heard a whistle from the front walk. I cut back through the house instead and waited near the door.
8: Terry!
12: Hey, Terry, can I come in? It's Little Joe, the Frisco kid. <laughs> what happened to your weekend
15: trip, honey? I... Who are you? What do you want? Hiya, Temple. How do you know me? Mrs. Labar hired me today just after she canceled the weekend. She gave me a rundown.
12: She hired you? What do you mean?
15: I'm a private detective named Marlowe.
12: Why would she hire you?
15: Because she was being followed by a brunette in Slack. She didn't like it, and that's all the information you're going to get, so relax.
12: You say Terry isn't here? Isn't
15: home? Not so far, no. Come on back here to the study, Temple. I want you to look at something. Somebody's gone through the desk in an awful hurry.
12: Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Maybe you know
15: something about what's missing, huh? You and Mrs. LeBar were fairly close, from what I'm told.
12: The letters. The letters are gone. Terry kept my letters in this bottom drawer.
15: Ah. Uh. By the way, Temple, where's your sidekick, Holland Casey?
12: Oh, I don't know. We, we both left San Francisco yesterday. He hates to fly, so I assume he took a train. He ought to be here in L.A. now. Well, you don't think Casey's mixed up in this, do you?
15: I don't know. It could be.
12: Vince LaBar. That's who it was that got those letters. It was Vince LaBar. They were really love letters. The business part was nothing. And LaBar is the the dog-in-the-manger kind of guy who wants everyone to be unhappy if he is. That
15: fits. That fits, Temple. With a smart lawyer, your letters to Terry becomes grade-A material for a countersuit for divorce. Sure, he could make it stick and also get a fat settlement under community property laws. Now, listen, here's what you've got...
12: Marlo, it's. it's Terry. Terry! Temporal! Terry! Wait! Terry! Look at her, Marlo! Look at her!
7: She She's dead!
0: Matthews, homicide
15: details. Marlo Matthews, there's a dead one out here, a woman. You got a pencil?
0: Always. Go
15: ahead, Marlo. I'm at 204 Beachwood Circle. 204 woman was a Beachwood client. Circle. Yeah, go on. She was strangled with a green silk sash in my pajamas, Matthews, sometime within the last, uh, I'd say, hour. Yeah. Her name was Terry Labar. Hey, wait, well, Terry I... Labar. Wait a minute, Marlo. Listen,
0: we got a teletype here from a sheriff in Empire, Oregon, come in five minutes ago. So? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Says some guy named Jess Freeman from L.A. was killed there this morning in a traffic accident. Was loaded with big dough, but doesn't look the type. And the only other identification on him was a business card from one Terry Lavar. yeah? You got a helpful answer for that?
15: Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Temple, do you know anything about a man named Jess Freeman? He was killed in Oregon today in a traffic accident and had one of Terry's cards on him.
12: Freeman? Yeah. No, no, I
15: don't remember him. No dice, Matthews. Who are you talking to? Uh, Joe Temple, one of Terry Labar's associates. He's here. Never heard of Jess Freeman. Yeah came on
0: Now uh-huh. oh, They sent his prints to Washington. A tattoo says he was in the Navy once they'll pin him down. Now, uh, about out there, any idea who killed him?
15: Yeah, maybe a brunette and slacks. I think I know where to find her. Well, that's
0: dandy. Sit on it till we get there,
15: I'll be right out. But wait a minute, Lieutenant. What? Look, right now it's only a hunch, but if I move fast and quiet, I might be able to develop it into something worthwhile, okay?
0: Uh, okay, but keep in touch, Phil.
15: Yeah, yeah.
12: I still can't believe it about Terry Marlowe. Now,
15: look, look, why don't you just go home and take it easy? I'll tell Lieutenant Matthews where he can find you, huh? Uh, Thanks. Uh,
12: 1310 Marlborough Drive.
15: Right. Now, tell me, you know where Vince Labar lives?
12: Yeah, yeah, the Laverne Apartments on Rossmore. Uh He's got a suite on the top floor, 7A. 7A. And uh, if it's any help, he drives a new green Nash sedan. But I thought you said that it was that
15: brunette. I did, I did. And if Vince Labar can't lead me to the lady in long pants, I'll eat my shirt. What's more, Matthews, we'll see to it personally.
0: Yes, what do you want? Some
15: quiet conversation with Vince Labar. I'm Philip Marlowe, private detective.
0: Oh, how exciting. Had I known you were coming out have bake the cake.
15: Oh, you're breaking me up. I was hired by your wife tonight. Get out your out of wife here. is dead, Labar. She was murdered. Dead? Terry murdered? Yeah. Now, if you don't mind, I'll come in, huh? She was killed because of a packet of letters, LaBar. Oh, no. Kind that are a cinch to cause a big stir in anybody's divorce court. Stir big enough to swing a countersuit in uh, your favor. I
0: don't know what you're talking letters,
15: about. Letters, letters, letters. Joe Temple's letters to Terry, the ones you arranged to have stolen tonight.
0: Oh, you must be crazy. Her death
15: wasn't part of the plan, LaBar. That was one of those bum deals. A robbery that got out of hand, wound up as a murder. Oh, no, wait. Now, where is she, LaBar? Who's the brunette in slacks and where do I find her?
0: You get out of here or I'll have the police help oh, you. Oh, shut up.
11: I...
15: Not only steel letters, but ashtrays, too, huh? Like this coy little number here a Doghouse. Scotty's drive-in, Wilshire and La <laughs> Okay, LaBar, Stand that's all.
0: Still.
15: Oh, now a gun, huh? <laughs> they say you're yellow, LaBar, but you're not. You're just stupid.
0: There's a terrace outside those doors, Marlowe. Those with the iron grill. Go on out there. Go on. I don't think Terry's dead, and I don't think she hired you. I think you're working for that lousy, louse Joe Temple, and if so, he'll need a battalion of private detectives before I'm through. You're
15: through right now, LeBar. You're too dumb to see it.
0: Go on. Clear over to the rail. Keep your back to me. It's seven floors down, Marlowe, to a concrete driveway, just in case
7: you get jumpy. (laughs)
16: In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, most people like to know what to expect. But on at least one CBS show, a great part of the fun is in what turns up on the spur of the moment. That show is Groucho Marx's great quiz, You Bet Your Life, heard every Wednesday night on most of these same CBS stations. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Vital Statistic.
15: Home with Vince Labar and the courage caliber thirty-two, he held in his right hand Made it out of the apartment and on the run for the elevator I kicked through the plate glass door And I spent the next two minutes alternately swearing, straining and nicking myself While I played contortionist In and out of the fancy snake grill work on my wrought iron cage Until finally I reached the inside handle I was free out and over to the telephone in a big hurry Because for my money the icing on Labar's Le voice left Joe Temple someplace on the short side what the life insurance people call good risk. Hello? Marlo Temple, listen hard. Your life's in danger. What? Labar, you had him tagged from the first. He's after those letters, all right. But what about the girl in slack Well, I think she might have a connection with a drive-in on Wilshire and La Cienega, a place called Scotty's Inn. I'm going to check it. Now, tell me, any word from Terry's muscle man yet? Marlon Casey? Yeah. No,
12: nothing, Marlo. But look, can I meet
15: you and talk no, to you? No, no, Vince Labar had a gun and a short tempo when he left here. I'll make us work any easier. Just stay away from open windows, Temple. I'll call you. <laughs> Gotti's Inn was eating on the run in the finest California tradition. A mammoth circle of steel under glass painted a dazzling yellow and blue, surrounded by a half a dozen cars containing teenaged couples with smudged lipstick and the giggles. The second after I pulled in and parked, something in slacks with false eyelashes, a waist you could span with a handcuff, and a fixed frontline chorus girl smile flipped the card mark Ginger against my windshield. Handed me a menu to still at the froth from an earlier customer's milkshake in one corner.
3: Why well, let it be, mister?
15: Just coffee, Ginger. Cream? Uh-uh, information.
3: Oh, it's you again. Huh? Look, baby, what I told you on the phone ten minutes ago still goes, huh? About what? About Rose Facetta, the girl you described. Long black hair, a nice shape, you're infatuated, but you don't know the name and address. So I was nice. I gave the name, told you to look the address up in the phone book, Period. Don't be so lazy, baby.
15: Wait a minute, Ginger. I didn't call you before, but that dime cup of coffee will bring you a ten-buck tip if you tell me who did.
3: Hey, you want the guy who called. I don't know any names, but you're not him. Mm. He didn't talk up like you do. But what's all the fuss, baby? Rose Facetta's got a guy. She's spoken for. Besides, a handsome fellow like you should... Sweetheart, sweetheart, this
15: is business strictly. Believe me. Oh. What's the address? Come on.
3: 2428 Havenhurst Drive, bottom floor.
15: Thanks. Here. Here's a ten, I promise you.
3: No, never mind. Hmm? The name was free to him, so why should I charge you? Besides...
15: beside what?
3: I like the way you said, sweetheart. (laughs) Come on back sometime, will you, baby, when you want more than coffee?
15: Okay. When I want more than coffee and less than murder, I will. Stay out of it, Ginger. It was definite double talk, but the effect was what I wanted. Ginger with mouth wide open and staring after me like my ears were on backwards. That way, she might be scared out of making a simple curiosity spike telephone call to the popular Rose Facetta which would trumpet my arrival loud, clear, and prematurely. Ten minutes later, I was parked away from number 2824, Havenhurst. As I got out of my car and started toward the place, I found Vince Labar's green sedan on the opposite side of the street and carefully tucked into the shadows of a pair of long-haired pepper trees. It was a good time for me to be careful. So when I knocked on the front door, which showed yellow light at the threshold and was the starting point for something not too close to music, I did it with the butt end of my 38...
7: Yeah, who
15: is it? Ziggy, friend of Ginger's. She asked me to deliver you a message, Rose. Oh, all right.
3: What's the message, friend? Why, you little
7: Don't
15: try it, sunshine. There's no law against shooting ladies who knock you downstairs. Now, back off. Come on, move, but not too far. The moment I want you in between me and Vince Labar. Who? Look, Angel, it's all real plain. Those suitcases behind you there are packed. His car's outside. He's after the letters. Oh, no.
14: (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha! There goes Vince now, Buster. Well, Peeper, your opener stinks. Get
15: inside fast.
14: Sure, sure. Any place in particular, Sailor?
15: That chair near the desk. Keep your hands in your lap.
14: Okay. If it'll please you, Mr. Detective. I'll be very glad to. After all, you're my guest, and I should be nice to you, too.
15: Now we talk like a little lady, huh, Rose? Vince Labar picked up the letters from you as scheduled... and you're getting ready to run because you killed Terry... and you'd rather not be around for the question and answer period, right?
14: I didn't kill her. I I just knocked her down.
15: No. You didn't kill her. You just slowed down her breathing somewhat with a pajama sash.
14: You're wrong, copper. Skip I Skip it.
15: Doesn't add any other way.
14: Come on, answer it.
0: Who is it? Mr. Shirley. What's going on in there, Mr. Setter?
14: Line line. No, the jerk who lives in the top half of this place, along with a few thousand. Mr. Yes, if, if you don't open
0: this door, I'm going to call the police. I distinctly heard a noise. Did I. Come
14: on in, Mr. Shirley. Well,
0: what. Well, what's going on in here? Who are you?
15: Never mind that now. Get on the phone, and call the police.
0: Huh? Oh. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, certainly. Oh. Operator. Oh, operator. I want the police. 28, 24, Look, Hero,
14: yes. you're a little mixed up about some 24.
15: things. Yeah, and you're just the kid to straighten me out. Those well, letters really you got on. at Terry's place were written by Joe Temple. All right. Was your boyfriend Vince heading for Temple when he left here? I can't... Try hard, oh. sister.
14: All right, all right. Maybe he was. Now leave me alone.
15: Not quite. Hey, you, Mr. Shirley. Oh,
14: yes?
15: In that desk next to you, there's a gun. Keep it on until the law arrives. Oh. Ladies want for murder. Well, yes, but what if she should... Yeah, then shoot, Shirley, fast. Because if you don't, she'll kill you. Tell the cops I'll fill in the blanks later. Oh, now,
0: no, no, wait, why must you leave? Why don't we both watch?
15: Because a guy named Joe Temple needs my help a lot more than you do. The home address Temple had given me turned out to be lights in a quiet house on a quiet street named Marlborough. I was there out of my car and running for the front door when they came. <laughs> I chucked my gun out of the holster, got close into the building and moved up until I was on a line with a pair of half-open patio doors. And I saw something I hadn't expected. On the floor that was littered with a broken lamp, pieces of vase and overturned furniture was Vince Labar. Doubled up. Dead. And standing over him, his face the color of soft cement, a thirty two dangling in his limp right hand was Joe Temple. When he saw me, he tried to talk, but the words jammed in his throat. And when I stepped into the room, he began to tremble. I, I shot him I couldn't help it. He was going to... Sit down, Temple. Get a hold of yourself. You got any brandy around? Over on that table near the phone. No. Oh.
12: He was out of his mind, Marlowe. An absolute maniac. He said he was going to kill me. So you so...
15: lunged for him. There was a fight and you came up with a gun, huh? Yeah.
12: And when he started for me again, I, I pulled the trigger. And then I did it again.
15: And a third time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, yeah. Drink this. Uh, uh, uh,
12: he brought the letters back, Marlowe. They're inside on the floor where he threw them. He said they didn't mean anything anymore. That he and that girl in the slacks had taken care of Terry. It and it the... easy,
15: Temple, easy. He
12: seemed to go crazy. He said I was a wife, stealer, the cause of his trouble, and that I deserved death. Well, that's when I jumped at him. It was terrible, Marlow.
15: Yeah. <laughs> well, between the two of us, we've just about got all the answers, which is usually a good time to call the police, huh? Well,
12: what do you mean, just about got all the answers, Marlow? What else is there?
15: Jess Freeman, the guy Lieutenant Matthews told us about when we were over at Terry's place, remember? Oh, yes, that
12: traffic crash in Empire, Oregon. But why should that figure in this, Marlowe?
15: It shouldn't, but uh, I think it does. I'm
0: inside, Detective Lieutenant Matthews
15: speaking. Marlowe Matthews, Ah. another dead one on the Terry Labar case. Oh, no. Yeah, Vince Labar, her husband, he was shot. Uh, Who
0: did it, Marlowe, do you know?
15: Yeah, a guy named Joe Temple. It was self-defense. We're coming in, Matthews. I'll take that gun, Temple. You get the letters. Let's go. When we got into my car and started downtown, Temple was more relaxed. And he talked easily until we passed Vince Labar's sparkling green sedan parked a block away. Once again, close into the shadows, and once again, empty. Real empty. The sight of it closed him up tight for the rest of the trip. When we walked into police headquarters and through the quarter of a mile of glossy corridor leading to the door marked homicide, he didn't open up any. But it didn't matter, really, because it's police rule never to talk to two men about the same thing at the same time. And I was first. Matthew said hello without shaking hands, waved me into an uncomfortable seat, and then lit his pipe while I brought him up to date. And it was his turn.
0: Sir Rose Facetta killed Terry Labar so that she could get the letters Joe Temple had written, huh? hmm. Did this so that her boyfriend, Vince Labar, could raise a lot of fuss in divorce court with the letters, file a counter suit, that kind of stuff? That's the whole deal. Yeah, with Temple making it a double header by shooting Vince when Vince came to kill him.
15: That's it, Matthews. Yeah. If you believe Temple. Huh? And if Temple hadn't slipped.
0: All right, now what are you getting at,
15: Phil? That when I was on the phone with you early at night, you asked me if Temple or I knew anything about a Jess Freeman who was killed in a traffic accident in Empire, Oregon?
0: Right, right, but you didn't. No, no.
15: Nor did I mention the town of Empire to Temple. Oh. Yet a half hour ago, just before I called you, Temple came up with that name.
0: Oh, then Molly, you... Oh. Hold my calls, Mooney. Molly, you I mean... I mean
15: that Joe Temple killed Terry Labar. Rose just knocked her out and got the letters. Temple strangled her while she was still unconscious. Yeah, but why? Because a guy identified as Jess Freeman got himself killed in a traffic accident. So? A guy who I think was actually Holland Casey, Terry's two-fisted assistant who, together with Joe Temple, was crossing the boss lady. Yeah, but Marlo, And that oh, look, left you... Temple in a very hot spot. To save himself, he had a kill.
0: Can you prove all this, Marlowe?
15: No. Not a word of it. It's conjecture. But conjecture that fits, Matthews. Yeah. When Temple found Terry unconscious in the garden, that was his chance. He took
0: now, it. Now, look, Phil. Phil, you're guessing at night. Sure, sure,
15: I'm guessing. But not in the dark. I know how these guys think and act. I've done too many cases not to know. Now, listen for a minute, will you, Matthews? Phil, I got Will you, you listen?
0: Facts. All right,
15: okay. Now, look. Temple had to get those letters back, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the last one in particular, because in the last one, this is the way it's got to figure. He had lied to Terry about being in San Francisco with Casey yesterday when actually Casey was in Empire, Oregon.
0: Yeah, when Casey was killed up there, the fact was bound to come out. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good reason... Matthews, structure. will you let me finish, please? All right, finish.
15: Temple knew Terry would find out. He knew that she couldn't stand a liar and a partner who'd double-cross her. Temple knew that she'd get him and ruin him if it took her the rest of her
0: life. So he came back to get the letter before she could read it. But she hadn't left town as planned. Huh?
15: Ironically enough, because she didn't want to miss one of his letters.
0: Yeah, but look, I'm a policeman, Phil. I gotta have facts.
15: All right, all right. You're the policeman. You got labs and technicians. You'll get the facts. And I'll bet you it figures just like I say. Yeah,
0: okay, Phil. Okay.
15: And another thing, Matthews. What? When you talk to Temple, who's holding the packet of letters now like a real good boy, Yeah. you'll find the last one missing. It'll be in his pocket. I'll bet you on that. Well, that ought to do it, Lieutenant.
0: Yeah, with one exception, Phil. Huh? How did Temple maneuver all this? Getting the letters from Rose for and then setting up that self-defense deal.
15: I don't know. But my guess is that Vince got the letters from Rose just before I arrived at her place. But when he got into his car... Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Temple was waiting, slugged him, drove back to his own house, dropped the body in the living room, shot him when he heard you coming. Something like that,
15: Matthews. Uh-huh, uh-huh. See if you can't get it out that way. Yeah, huh? well, don't
0: worry, Phil. If it's true, we'll get it out.
15: It'll be true.
0: Oh, uh, now would you ask Mr. Temple to come in, please, Mr. Marlowe?
15: I'll be glad to, Lieutenant. Uh, say, Temple, Lieutenant, I'd like to see him.
12: All right, Marlowe, I, I think I can speak coherently now.
15: Good, good. They like to get the facts straight in there. Go ahead.
0: Yes, of course. Good night, Marlowe, and thanks for your help. Oh, good evening, Mr. Temple. sit down and start talking.
15: When I got into my car, the new day was starting to push the black out of the sky. And the early morning air smelled fresh and cool and clean. The, the whole night had been confused and complicated. But I knew that by the time Matthews had finished with Temple, there'd be no questions left unanswered. That'd be great, wouldn't it? If everything could be that way. No questions left unanswered.
16: The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Gerald Moore may currently be seen starring in Republic's The Blonde Bandit. Featured in the cast were Charlotte Lawrence, Elliot Reed, Dora Singleton, Georgia Ellis, Bill Lally, and Hugh Thomas. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dubkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard arunt Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says...
15: This time a bride-to-be, a corpse in a plush bungalow, and a southern drawl behind a gun all had one thing in common. They moved through the same deep shadow.
16: Remember, you'll find George Burns and Gracie Allen and their good friend Bill Goodwin here on most of these same CBS stations every Wednesday night. In the half hour following the Bing Crosby Show, this is Roy Rowan speaking. Now stay tuned for Pursuit, which follows immediately. This is CBS, where Burns and Allen are heard every Wednesday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more old-time radio. I hope you can join us then. Till then, this is Jim Dolan thanking you for listening.